Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you at 9.30 Church. Glad to open up this part of God's Word. I was telling 8 o'clock that Sue and I have been married for 35 years this October, and at 8 o'clock they all went, come back in 20 years, whippersnipper. <laughs> but I feel like here, at least some of you, I've got a bit of age and experience. Go the 50 pluses, I want to say. Uh, and uh, so I want to encourage you with these words as we think about marriage, family, parenting and work. All in 15 minutes. We'll, let's, uh, let me pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, which teaches us the way to live and the new life. Write these words on our hearts that our lives might be changed and that we may be thankful in serving Jesus. Amen. Uh, in these last few weeks, we've especially been looking at how chapter 3 teaches us a pattern of life, a pattern of the new life in Christ. And uh, we've seen in the last few weeks, Paul say, seek the things above and show us what that looks like, to set our mind on the things above where Jesus is, to put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature, to clothe ourselves with Christ and to give thanks for everything. Now, you would have noticed as the second reading was read out for us, Paul takes all that and brings it into examples of everyday life. And he says to us, clothe yourselves with Christ in your marriages. Clothe yourselves with Christ in your families and in your parenting. Clothe yourselves with Christ at work and study. And we need to unpack slaves, masters, how that applies. Uh, at this point, I've written in my notes, pet peeve. One of my pet peeves is headings in Paul's letters in the New Testament. Because a heading makes your brain think, oh, here's a new section that's disconnected from the bit apart. I want to rip, if you've got a Bible, cross out the heading. At, uh, in verse 18, what we see is an extension and an application of the first part of chapter 3, and I guess I want to preach it in that framework. Uh, before I get into the three topics, I just want to say a couple of things to orient us. Uh, Paul uses examples here that really assumes a biblical framework about marriage and families, which he assumes, he doesn't state, but it's worth seeing where that comes from, that God made us for relationship with him. And God made us for relationship with each other. And God made us male and female to enjoy relationships on the earth. And God gave us the gift of marriage for a man and a woman in a lifelong union to go forth and multiply. So it's that framework that he applies in the particular of Colossians chapter 3. And it's, uh, I thought the second thing that's worth saying is that Ephesians 5, which was our first reading, is really a parallel passage, paragraph, that goes into more detail about these kinds of things. Uh, and I'll refer to it lightly, but I really encourage you to read it for yourself as a cross-reference. And the third thing I want to say, that this is a word for everyone. Uh, 
It's highly likely that when Tychicus brought the letter from Paul to Colossae, they all gathered together, cross-generational, to have it read out. And uh, so these are applications and teachings for the whole church family. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have children. You don't have to be at work. But you are part of God's family locally gathered here. That These are words for us to encourage each other. And perhaps if I'm in a situation where I'm not married, it's still uh, I can encourage those who are. And so I wanted to say, here is a word for all of us. Let's get into our three topics. The first one, Paul says, is clothe yourselves with Christ in marriage. Uh, as I just said, Paul assumes a biblical framework for marriage, a man and a woman in a lifelong union till death do they part. And uh, in verse 18, he says these words, Wives, submit to your, yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Now, when you stop and think about it, this is a minimum of words to talk about a deep topic. And so we need to see that Paul has assumed a whole bunch of things in order for him to take the first part of Colossians chapter 3 and apply it to uh, specific earthly situations. Husbands and wives, clothe yourself with Christ as you uh, conduct your marriages in this present life. And uh, as Paul uses the language of put on or clothe yourself, uh, back in chapter 12, uh, he speaks to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, I am eyeballing the husbands in the room because these are words for you. Husbands, Love your wives. And Paul has shown us what that looks like. Remember in verse 14, over all things put on love, which binds all the virtues together. And he shows us what love looks like in verse 12. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So I think we're meant to read the first part of Colossians and think about how that impacts particularly on us as husbands and wives in marriage situations. Uh, and I suppose I really want to speak to husbands here just for a moment. The rest of you can listen in. Paul goes deeper in Ephesians 5. Husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her a radiant church without stain, wrinkle or blemish. Now, there's a lot more we could say about that passage. The goal for the husband is to love her in a way that encourages and grows her spiritual maturity. So Paul says, husbands ought to love their wives as if they were part of their own bodies. 
So here in Colossians 3, uh, we see that Paul is encouraging husbands to love their wife as Christ loved the church. Now we'll want to talk about that a little bit more. Then we'll hear Paul's word to wives in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And immediately we uh, recognise and even react to the S word in verse 18. It's an unpopular word. It's a word that triggers people in the culture in which we live. Submission. Uh, And if it doesn't trigger you particularly, it does trigger people in our community. I was at a wedding where Ephesians 5, the parallel passage, was being read out. And when it said, wives, submit to your husbands, I heard a lady go, (laughs) and I thought, wow, that's a fairly uh, personal reaction. It's worth thinking through, why does that language trigger someone? And I've been thinking about it in these last few days. Our culture values personal freedom above all else. So when our culture hears submission language, it thinks there's a denial of freedom going on, especially the freedom of women in marriages. Or for some people in our culture, it's a reaction to the older, heavy-handed patriarchy days. Here is a passage that's not inviting us to go back to the 50s where a woman gives up her rights in order to serve him with the slippers and the pipe. That's not what we're talking about here. And I think there's a second idea that makes this a trigger word, and that's the wrong perception that uh, somehow when a person submits, that makes you inferior. But the Bible takes us to Jesus, who humbled himself to death on a cross, as the model for uh, what submission looks like. What we see here in uh, Colossians 3 is that our new life in Christ brings us a new freedom. It's not a freedom for me to do what I want, but it's a freedom for me to serve and love, especially applied in the realm of husbands and wives. So these instructions to husbands and wives are, are interrelated Wives are to respect the role that God has given to their husband, that they might give a spiritual lead. Husbands are called to love their wives. And again, it's worth us thinking over coffee, what does that look like in action? Uh, uh, As Sue and I have navigated a fairly strange 12 months for us, we've had different ups and downs in our life, different hard moments, deaths in the family and that kind of thing, but hasn't quite been like the 12 months. What does it mean for me to love Sue when she's virtually been stuck at home for 11 months because of her health situation? I come home from being with people all day at church and work and even an extroverted kind of person like me needs a rest. When I walk in the door, Sue hasn't seen anyone or talked to anyone and she just wants to talk about church. I think, no, I've been doing that all day. I show love to Sue, not by going into the TV room to check out the cricket highlights, (laughs) but to stop and draw breath and ask myself the question, how can I love Sue in this moment? 
to dig a little deeper and show her the extra mile. And as she receives me home as her husband, mostly that's a good thing for her, that uh, uh, she would uh, give me the love and respect that God has given us together to be in marriage and husband and wife. Uh, A picture that I like thinking about is that marriage is like a waltz. Uh, The man gently gives a lead and hope he knows how to waltz. The woman gratefully follows the lead and it's as one that the couple flow around the ballroom. Now that sounds idyllic and poetic and I hope that helps for you. But the other thing I know is that we live in a fallen world and marriages in a fallen world can be hard work. And uh, we have people in our own church family that are living with the aftermath of divorce. And in a fallen world, it's possible for husbands to be harsh to their wives. And it's possible for wives to be disrespectful to their husbands. And if we take the language of Colossians 3, Paul here is saying, husbands and wives, put to death the earthly in your marriage relationships. And isn't it in our marriage relationships where we drop the masks the most? And our true ugly selves wrestle with the godliness of the new life in Christ. And so uh, Paul uh, especially says to husbands here in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, honour your husbands and do not belittle or disrespect them. I've... uh, I've been uh, reading a little in the area of relationship counselling, just to add another layer of depth and application to this. Uh, A man named Godham has identified the harsh behaviours in a marriage relationship that can undermine marriages. Uh, He talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse that appear in conflicted marriages. It's possible for husbands to be harsh with their wives. It's possible for wives to be disrespectful to their husbands. And uh, it shows itself in four behaviours that he's identified. Criticism, that's not giving appropriate feedback, but rather attacking the character of the other person. In Colossians 3.8, we see that we can use our words in anger. And how hard is that in a marriage situation? The antidote for that is to speak in gentle words and to uh, begin with I statements and not you statements. He speaks about contempt when husbands and wives communicate with each other in a mean way, in a disrespectful way, mocking and sarcasm and ridicule and eye-rolling. The antidote to that is to build a culture of appreciation and encouragement using our words to build up. He speaks about defensiveness, that a husband or a wife in a conflict situation might avoid the conflict or deflect the conflict or not take responsibility for their part of the conflict. And the antidote to that, isn't it, is to take responsibility and to say, I'm sorry. He identifies the 
activity of stonewalling when a listener withdraws from an interaction, shuts down and stops responding. Now, as I hear these things, I groan for my own failures in thinking about the moments when I could have uh, loved Sue with the love of Christ and not allow my own selfishness to take over a particular situation. Paul is saying here, husbands and wives, clothe yourself with Christ. Now, there's so much more we could say about this particular topic. I do want to take it one step further. At the extreme end of harshness is domestic violence. And it's important for me to say that a biblical framework of marriage never, never, never supports or condones domestic violence. A marriage partner has a right to be safe, loved and cared for both physically and psychologically. And where a partner isn't safe, safety becomes the priority. So Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And he shows us what that looks like in verse 12. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another of the grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And it will be a good thing to sit down with our marriage partners and talk that through. What does that look like in our present life circumstance? Well, the second thing Paul speaks of, he says, clothe yourselves with Christ in your families, from marriage to families, in verse 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Uh, We were talking about this at Bible study on Wednesday night. We noticed that the mummers didn't need a rebuke, and we were speculating on the other why that was. Other mummers in the room thought, well, they're the ones who know how to parent more naturally. The dads need more of an encouragement. I don't know what's true to say that. Parents and children... Clothe yourselves with Christ in your earthly family. And isn't it curious that Paul starts by addressing the children? As an aside, I think there's the expectation here that when Tychicus brought the letter to, to the Colossian church, that they all got together across the generations and had this read out. Children were part of the conversation and we ought to make... Uh, uh, think about how we can uh, include our children in the conversation of sitting under God's word and working out what it means to be families that honour Jesus. Children, obey your parents in everything. It's ironic, isn't it, that we've sent them all out. I want to speak to them. Come back. (laughs) And look at the motivation uh, to obey parents. For this pleases the Lord. It's not obey out of fear to escape punishment or anger. It's not obey to appease parents and become a people pleaser. 
but it's good for children to obey their parents because this pleases the Lord their God who has made them for relationship. So to the kids I want to say, honour your parents. Listen to your parents. Obey your parents. Love your parents. And it's Colossians 6 who reminds us that uh, uh, here are words that bring pleasure uh, to Jesus. Now, as we take it a little bit further and think about, well, how do we help children obey their parents? We can think in the realm of younger children. Fathers help children to love and obey their mothers. Mothers help their children love and obey their fathers. And tiredness and busyness can be an enemy to families modelling what uh, good behaviour and good results look like. Now, I don't want to pretend to step into modern parenting movements and techniques, but here's the encouragement which says, we love and obey each other because it pleases the Lord, which got me thinking about youth and high schoolers as children mature into adulthood. Their social and psychological journey are all part of their growth and uh, the application changes of what obedience to parents looks like. Uh, we have four children, three boys and a girl, and each of our four kids are very different to each other. And especially through those high school years, each of them demanded a different approach for discipline and growth and encouragement. And I could unpack what that looked like in our family. Uh, as children grow socially and uh, psychologically, they're moving from dependence under the umbrella of their, uh, of their earthly family to independence, uh, moving away, which is the joy and challenge of the high school years, to interdependence, uh, mature adults who have a responsibility to take their place in the life of the adult family. Sue and I are loving being parents of young adults, uh, and loving seeing our children participate in the family. One of our personal wrestles is that two of our boys aren't walking with the Lord, so we're continuing to pray for them that their eyes may be open to the majesty of Jesus. The other area that this raises for us is thinking about us as adult children with older parents, if our parents are still with us. You don't stop being a parent, and you don't stop being a child when you reach adulthood. And so here's an encouragement for us to stop and think, how are we honouring our parents in their age stage? And uh, to our surprise, Sue and I have been caring for sick and dying parents for about the last 10 years. And I know some of you are in the process of that and some of you have experienced that. How can I uh, honour my parents in the twilight, it raises a different set of challenges and applications. Uh, Paul says, put to death the earthly nature in your parenting and put to death the earthly nature in the way that you respond to your parents. Paul takes us further in 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged which if I can speak to dads here, let me encourage you 
to be an encouragement to your children. And I suppose that each one of us has to sit down and think about the family dynamic that we are a part of and ask ourselves the question, how am I encouraging my children in the Lord? Perhaps it's in the realm of discipline to express discipline in love and not anger. Perhaps it's those hours of coming home to be present when you are present and to put aside your needs and hopes for the sake of your family's needs of hopes, especially in the witching hour of going to bed and having dinner together if you've got younger children. Or it's for fathers to learn to give themselves to their families and uh, uh, to arrange their family life in other ways. Uh, Ephesians 6 extends the passage, fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And again, it's worth thinking about that, isn't it? As we build our children in the Lord from the young age, it equips them to honour Jesus in their life of growth. Uh, And I want to say the spiritual life of your children is more important than any other aspect of their life. The spiritual life of your children is more important than their academic life or their sporting life or their musical life or their spiritual life. Now, I want to say all those things are good and have a place, but I want to encourage you parents to take control of the family diary and privilege the spiritual life of your children. Uh, I've written here in my notes boldly, Say no to things that are a distraction in your diary to your children being raised up in Jesus. Say no to your school when they want to fill up your family diary with other things that don't help their spiritual growth. Say no to some social engagements if the social engagements cut across them growing and learning in the Lord. Say no to FOMO your child will not miss out. And even if they did, it doesn't matter. Here are my thoughts, not Paul's thoughts. But I want to encourage you, clothe yourself and your families with Christ. Now, there's so much more we can say in this space, but here's an encouragement to apply what we've seen in the first half of Colossians 3. And these are instructions that we want to read together as our whole church family. We are a spiritual family. We are the village that raises our children to know Jesus. So you have a role to play in the spiritual maturity of our church kids. Last thing I want to look at, and it's going to be brief, not detailed. Paul says, clothe yourselves with Christ at work and at study. Now, if you can see the the verse, you'll be thinking, that's slaves, though. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, we need more time, really, to unpack slaves and translate to uh, the situation of employees, boss, or student teachers, though many employees that I talk to speak the language of slaves. So I think there's a leap that we can make somewhere. It's worth saying that slavery in the Roman Empire was a legal transaction. 
and a vast proportion of people were under some kind of legal agreement to serve. Slavery is different in the Roman Empire to the slavery of the 18th century colonialisation. Slavery uh, uh, was a neutral thing. It's not commended here in the Bible, but it's the reality of the ancient world in which they lived and they had to work it out. And more encouragingly, in the Church of God in Colossae, there were both slaves and masters who lived the new life in Christ. And here's them wrestling out their new identity. Uh, Andrew already reminded us in our first talk in this series that Onesimus was with Tychicus when he came back to Colossae. He was an escaped slave of Philemon, one of the church members. So it would have been really interesting and we have the letter to Philemon to see that story unfold. What Paul says is this, as a slave, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, as we make the secondary application to employees and bosses or to uh, students and teachers it's worth noticing the new life in Christ brings a new attitude to work when you work work as to the Lord when you work work as if you're honoring the Lord Jesus himself uh, clothe yourselves with Christ as an employee clothe yourselves with Christ as a boss Clothe yourselves with Christ as a student. Clothe yourselves with Christ as a teacher. And Paul finishes with a word to masters. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right because you know that you also have a master in heaven. If the primary application is to slaves and masters, it's good for us to see that the new life in Christ even impacts how we work. So whoever you are here this morning, husbands or wives, children or parents, slaves or masters, employees or bosses, students or teachers, clothe yourself with Christ. And let me finish where Paul finishes in verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Oh,